Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. For those that may be listening to an audio tape, we have read Psalm 32 earlier this morning, seeing in the first two verses there as the Apostle Paul applies those words in Romans chapter 4, that blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes righteousness without works. Matthew chapter 22 is our place where we want to look this morning. I have a message from the Lord Jesus Christ for us. Amen. For us, all of us, right. you and me. Right. I want to read to you 14 verses here, beginning with the first verse. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, in the blessed name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, who uttered these words in the ears of the nation of Israel, I pray that you will sanctify them to us this morning and cause them to reach our hearts, that we might hear and that we might understand and that we might believe and that we might humble ourselves before thee and seek thee to be found in thee and to have upon us the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that we might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Amen. Bless us, Holy Father, in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, 
for the words which he spoke, that we might seek him more perfectly. Amen. Amen. These are the words of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Right. The first verse tells us that this is a parable. Because it's a parable, we seek a lesson rather than details. But in order for us to understand the lesson, I will show you the details, some of them. We will not go after every detail, nor will we try to expand upon each detail to where it would cumber us from seeing the lesson. There be two lessons in this parable, and they're obvious to those who read their Bibles, but I want you to consider them this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like unto. The kingdom of heaven here is the spiritual reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, who reigns right now at the right hand of the living God, sitting upon the throne of David, king of Israel. Israel being the kingdom of heaven now, which is that spiritual reign of Jesus Christ over heaven, his churches, and this gospel administration of the everlasting covenant that we live in. The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Since John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. The kingdom of God has been here for 2,000 years since the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are synonyms. They're absolutely identical without variation. It is a kingdom from heaven, and it is a kingdom of God. And Jesus Christ is the king from heaven. In the days of these kings, Daniel prophesied long ago, shall the God of heaven, no wonder it's called, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. In the days of these kings, speaking of the Roman Empire, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And that's the kingdom that we're in right now with Jesus Christ reigning at the right hand of God. The kingdom of heaven is like unto. It includes heaven, it includes all of his churches, and it includes the entire gospel administration of the new covenant. The gospel administration being how we worship in the New Testament as opposed to the Old Testament. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king. The certain king is God. Which made a marriage for his son. The son of this certain king is the Lord Jesus Christ. The marriage that he made for him is the gospel union that we have with Jesus Christ when we believe the gospel and obey it and come into his kingdom by that obedience and repentance and partake of his ordinances and his blessings. That's the marriage. That's the wedding. The union of Christ and his people practically in the gospel administration of the everlasting covenant. It is a union between Christ and his people that is announced by servants. The servants that we read about in verse 3 that were sent forth to call those that were on the list were the prophets and the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can read about this marriage coming. Beulah land, remember, is the married land. 
And that's as old as the Old Testament prophets. You can read about it in Isaiah, about the light that is going to arise. And the Lord Jesus Christ that was going to come, you can read about it in Jeremiah. And you can read about it in the Psalms. And you can read about it in Micah and the other minor prophets. These servants came and announced to Israel that this marriage was coming. This gospel administration of God having a son and setting up a spiritual kingdom with that son on the throne of David. And in which salvation would be provided not only for Jews but Gentiles. All of that was known in the Old Testament and presented by servants of God that announced this marriage and wedding. He sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. Those that were bidden were the Jews. The message of the gospel and the announcement of the gospel came first to the people of Israel, the Jews, by God's choice. Not because they deserved it, not because he owed it to them, but because by promise he had said he would send it to them first. And they would not come. They rejected his message by his prophets. His prophets rose up before times and told them and they would not come. They would not heed the voice of the prophets of God. But they rejected them. Again, he sent forth other servants. If you look at the the testimony of the Old Testament and the New, prophets were sent by God to the people of Israel that a Savior was coming who was King and who was Lord and who was Prince and who was the Messiah and the Christ, and they would none of it. And so he raised up 12 men that were known as the apostles, and he sent them two by two, and he raised up 70 others that he sent two by two to bid the nation of Israel to the marriage. And they would not come. And so he sent forth other servants. These other servants are another wave of prophets and apostles and ministers and elders sent by God to his nation of Israel. Tell them that are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all is ready. The dinner is here descriptive of the great gospel blessings we have in hearing the truth of salvation by grace through our Lord Jesus Christ and the special, simple ordinances we have to remember that and the absolute freedom from the guilt of sin that we have because of Christ. It's a great feast. It's glorious. It's full of fat. There's nothing lean about it. All things are ready. There was nothing left in the timetable of God. All things are ready. All preparation has been made. Elijah that was to come had come. Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks was being fulfilled because here we are in the 70th week. All things are ready. Verse 5 tells us, but they made light of it. They made light of it is the carnal response of fleshly Jews. They made light of it. It wasn't important to them. They made light of it. It wasn't a priority in their lives. They made light of it. And went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And how easy that is for us, brethren, to be distracted from the importance and the priority of the things of the gospel for the things of our lives. They made light of it. 
Verse 6. The remnant here is an element within the nation of Israel that was exceedingly wicked. Those that were filled with satanic workers, demons, a demon-possessed generation that not only went to their farm and to their merchandise, but they hated Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and they hated his apostles and his prophets, and they killed them. Jesus said all the righteous blood that was shed on the earth, all the way from Abel to Zacharias, who was the last prophet killed in the Old Testament, all that blood was going to come on the generation of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. The remnant is those wicked Jews who slew the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles. Verse 7, But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. When God invites men to his marriage of a dinner of oxen and fatlings, and you make light of it, or you mistreat those messengers that bring that invitation, he is wroth. The king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. The Lord Jesus Christ did this in 70 AD when he sent the Roman armies under a leader named Titus Vespasian, whose father was Vespasian the Caesar, and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Just as he promised numerous times in the Gospels, just as the apostles warned several times in the book of Acts, and in the epistles, that great wrath was come upon the nation of Israel because they had crucified the Lord of glory and his apostles. And they had said, His blood be on us and on our children. Well, the king brought that blood and that guilt to bear on that nation. He destroyed those murderers and burned up their city with his armies, and those armies were the Romans. Then saith he to his servants in verse 8, and brethren, that's, that's comforting right there to know that in the burning up of that nation and in the destruction of those murderers and the destruction of that city, there were still servants around. Right. Did you know that we're told in Matthew 24 that the tribulation that preceded the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD was so great that if God hadn't cut it short, it would have destroyed the very elect. Right. But for the elect's sake, those days were cut short. Amen. So that we read in verse 8 that there were still servants around. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they were not bidden, but they which were bidden were not worthy. These servants of the apostles and prophets of the New Testament, with the elders that came from them, after Pentecost, when the Jews had manifested manifested themselves, that they did not want the gospel. We can read in Acts 13, where the Apostle Paul said, you've judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And so we read here that the king said, go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. The ones found in the highways, brethren, are you and me. We were found in the highways. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that every creature is men of all nationalities, colors, creeds, and so forth. Preach it to them. And they did. That gospel was preached in all the world for a witness. Before 70 A.D., the Apostle Paul testifies of that 
plain, well, Mark testifies of it in the very context of the commission, that they went everywhere preaching the word with signs following. And then Paul tells us that it was done and accomplished before 70 AD. The gospel had been preached in all the world. We read in verse 10 that these servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and and the servants of God, ministers of the New Testament, went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, this is the ingathering of the Gentiles, both bad and good. Guess, both bad and good, are the members of New Testament churches. Gentile members of New Testament Gentile churches have good and bad members. Verse 11 tells us, And the king came in to see the guests. The king coming in to see the guests and to make an examination of them is the final judgment. The king is God. The king is Christ, who is the judge appointed by God. And he comes in to examine the guests, and there's a guest there without a wedding garment. And brethren, the wedding garment that makes, that makes us acceptable at the wedding feast and supper of Christ and in the marriage with Christ is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And nothing less than that. It is the blessedness of the man to whom the Lord imputes righteousness Amen. without works. And he said to him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? What are you doing in here in my church? What are you doing in here at my marriage? What are you doing in here singing about my dinner and my fatlings and my oxen without a garment? And the man was speechless. And the man that was speechless are those bad members of Christ's church that shall be revealed one day by God, the judge of all men. And they will be speechless because there will be no excuse to give. They were speechless. The speechless condition of this rude wretch for being in there without a garment. He has no excuse or defense for his sins. He has no excuse or defense for not humbling himself and casting himself upon the mercy of God. Verse 13, we see some other servants. The king says to his servants to bind that wretch that didn't have a garment, hand and foot, to take him away and to cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These servants are the angels of God that shall be sent forth by God in the great day of judgment to separate the just from the wicked. The outer darkness with its attendant miseries is hell. An eternal torment away from the presence of God and under his judgment. And the conclusion is, for many are called, but few are chosen. And so we want to look at the lessons of this parable, brethren. Fourteen verses of warning. Let me give you a similar parable just to help you see it. Matthew chapter 13. I'll just read it quickly. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 47, the same Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, said, Matthew 13, 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. 
Hopefully that helps you understand it. Let's come back to Matthew 22. In Matthew 13, that was a great net that was a picture of God's ministers calling forth Gentiles and Jews to the gospel. And when the gospel net is drawn in, there's all sorts in it, good and bad. And what a gospel minister does and what the Lord's going to do perfectly in the great day of judgment is to sit down with that net full of good and bad fish and gather the good into his kingdom and cast the bad away into a furnace of fire. Matthew chapter 22. Brethren, there are two lessons. The first lesson is the national rejection of the gospel by the Jews and their total destruction because of it. We see that in the first 10 verses. The first 10 verses describe God sending his prophets and apostles to the Jewish nation, telling them that there was a new covenant and a new king. Instead of Herod and instead of Caesar, they could serve Christ. Instead of a sacrificial system that could never put away sin, they could see and know about the righteousness of Jesus Christ that comes without works. But they would not. They wanted nothing to do with it. And eventually, they killed his prophets. And they killed his apostles. And they killed the Lord of glory himself. And so he sent forth other servants to the Gentiles who did hear it. And brethren, we heard it. And it's by grace that we heard it. It's by grace that he gave us a heart to hear it. And it's by grace that he sent servants to tell us. It is by grace. It is by pure grace. It is not by your wisdom. And it is not by coincidence. It is by divine providence, which is nothing less than the love of God. That he saved us and sent servants to tell us of so great a salvation. The lesson is that they rejected it and they were totally destroyed. The gospel was first sent to the Israelites. Jesus said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He told his disciples when he sent them out, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, nor enter in to the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus was a minister of the circumcision. The Bible tells us these things. They had little use for the gospel. Jesus rebuked them on several occasions with several illustrations. He said, you're able to look at the sky. And if you see a red sky in the morning, you know the bad weather is coming. If you see a red sky at night, you know the good weather is coming. You hypocrites! You're able to discern the weather from the signs that precede it, but you're not able to discern that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There he was performing miracles on the left hand and on the right hand. The dead were coming to life. The blind were seeing. The dumb were speaking. Devils were cast out. He was feeding multitudes with a few loaves and fishes. But they could not discern that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And they would not discern. He said, the queen of Sheba is going to rise up on the day of judgment. Because she came a great distance to see Solomon. And there is one here, Jesus speaking about himself. There is one here that so far exceeds Solomon. And yet you have no time for him. They made light of it. 
They made light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the blessings of salvation by grace and righteousness by him and the blessings of a kingdom where God himself sat on the throne in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They made light of it. They made light of it. We'll get to the application in a minute. Let's get the lesson. The lesson is that the Jews made light of it, and he destroyed them for it. But before he destroyed them, there was a remnant among them that was so wicked they even slew the apostles and prophets of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've already mentioned that Jesus held them responsible for all the righteous blood shed in the earth from Abel to Zacharias. That is in the entire that is the entire list of the martyrs of the Old Testament. That's the first martyr and that's the last martyr. And everyone in between, God held that generation responsible for them because they had all the wickedness in their hearts that had killed those good men, those righteous men. Jesus said, those men that killed the prophets, you're making sepulchers for them with beautiful headstones. They were honoring the ones that had killed in past generations. They made light of it, and they killed the servants. We read in the book of Acts all about what those Jews wanted to do to the apostles. They beat the apostles in Acts chapter 5. They stoned Stephen in Acts chapter 7. They were so thankful when Herod killed James in Acts chapter 12. They tried to kill Paul numerous times. Did once, but the Lord brought him back to life. Praise his name. But they tried. And so the Lord sent his armies to destroy the nation of Israel. And, oh, brethren, I'm not going to chase that. When you all know that, you've been established in the truth. Don't be led astray by any other teaching. One of the greatest events of the New Testament was the destruction of Jerusalem by Roman armies in 70 A.D. After the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it is the most important event of the New Testament. It is spoken of repeatedly, and it is generally unknown today, that Jesus Christ manifested that he was king by what he did to his enemies in 70 A.D. He destroyed them miserably and burned up their city. And that it's ignored. It's lost. We have a generation coming up of children that if we do not teach them the importance of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., they will never hear it outside this assembly unless they are reading some old and dusty books back in the days like the eight like 1800 when all men understood it no one read matthew 24 and thought that it was talking about some tribulation that is yet to come they all understood it to be the lord jesus christ bringing tribulation upon the nation of israel for them having rejected him because he said that all these things shall come to pass on this generation Matthew chapter 24, well understood by all men. Now it's lost. God help us to see it. Here it is in this parable, and it's throughout the New Testament. You come to the day of Pentecost, and Peter is spending many words, warning them about what was coming. And it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, with many other words, that he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation, this ungodly generation that had crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, God was going to bring a judgment on them that was so severe that they were to be trying to save themselves from it. And Peter spent most of his message on the day of Pentecost preaching about that, according to 
the record of God. Amen. Right. God sent the Roman armies. They were his armies. They were doing his bidding. They accomplished exactly what he wanted them to accomplish, just like the Assyrian armies of old and the Babylonian armies of old accomplishing exactly what God had chosen for them to accomplish. And so God took the gospel away from them. The nation was wiped out, and God sent his servants into the highways and byways to compel and the Gentiles to come in. And oh, those Gentiles were so excited. Acts chapter 13 and verse 48, when the apostles looked at the Jews and all their arguing and fighting and persecuting and said, "We, you have judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. We turn to the Gentiles. And it says the Gentiles rejoiced. Amen. The city came together to hear the word preached. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Amen. There's a couple things in there to be thankful for. Ordination to eternal life and hearing the gospel. Amen. And brethren, I hope that you are thankful for both of them this morning. I hope that you will not set light on the gospel. I hope that you will not make light of the new covenant and the blessings of God that we have. That's the first lesson. Great care must be taken to obey the gospel. Romans chapter 11 tells us very plainly that the nation of Israel, his people, the people of God, was like an olive tree. And when they refused the gospel, God cut branches off of that tree. And he engrafted Gentiles into that tree. But brethren, even in that passage, he warns us, be not high-minded. You Gentiles, be not high-minded, but fear. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, why do you think he's going to spare you that are not branches by nature, but were grafted in? as a great blessing. So it's a warning for us to be sober, and it says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. Amen. So the lesson is, Israel heard the gospel and rejected it. Israel heard the gospel and rejected it, and they were destroyed because of that. They made light of it. And we should behold the goodness and severity of God lest we make light of what he has done for us and shown us and taught us and sent us. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip, is the apostle's warning in Hebrews chapter 2. The second lesson of this parable is found in verses 11 through 14. And the second lesson is the election of God and its secret effect that's going to take place at the day of judgment. The election of God. The lesson is found in the words of verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. When God's servants go out into the highways and the hedges and the byways of life, as the parable describes it, and compels the Gentiles to come in. Luke chapter 14 uses the word compel. And shows the Gentiles that there is a kingdom where Jesus Christ is Lord, and there is the forgiveness of sins by his sacrifice. And they come in. We find in the Gentile churches of the New Testament that there are members good and bad. And that good and bad 
is not in a practical way, directly, it's in a legal way. There are some that have never been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. They're bad members. But they come into the church of Christ because they like it for whatever reason. Because they're deceived in their own hearts for whatever reason. Maybe you're a family member and you were raised that way. That you ought to be going to church. Maybe you intellectually understand that the things we teach here are true according to the word of God. And yet you have no wedding garment. You do not have the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon you. Those are bad members. And I don't mean bad members by missing assemblies. They might be the members that are there every assembly. But when the king will make examination of the guests at his wedding, when we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, as the Apostle Paul warns us, to receive those things done in our body, whether it be good or whether it be bad, whether it be that judgment that Solomon told us about in Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen, where every secret thing is going to be judged, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There are individuals that came into the churches of Christ, yea, came into the ordained offices of Christ, and were his teachers, like Judas Iscariot, but who did not have the righteousness of Christ upon them, and therefore Jesus Christ will say, I never knew you. No one invited you to the wedding. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of Jesus Christ. And this is the lesson. Right. Peter warns in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 that there will be false teachers in the church of Jesus Christ to whom is reserved the mist of darkness and of blackness forever. They never knew Jesus Christ. Brethren, there's going to be a day when the books are opened and whosoever is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. And if you will, the book of life is the list of all the acceptable guests. Because Jesus Christ has made them acceptable in the beloved of his wonderful sacrifice on the cross for us. That book is the wedding list of guests. And the king is going to come in and examine the guests. Remember, it's a parable. Revelation chapter 20 is a sign. There's going to be a book opened. And God is going to examine every man according to his works, and by our works we all stand condemned. But the book of life of the Lamb slain, where the names were written before the foundation of the world, according to that Revelation 13, 8 and 17, 8, will be opened and our names will be found there, and it will show that we do indeed have a wedding garment. It's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and died a perfectly substitutionary death for us that he might pay for our sins with his death and give us his righteousness by his life. John tells us in 1 John 2, 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, 
is a liar, and the truth is not in him. There be many false professors, brethren. Do you remember that we began a, a year ago with Psalm 144? which was David's prayer that God would rid us of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and deceit and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. The churches of Jesus Christ have the right hand of fellowship because the Bible describes it, Galatians chapter 2. But there are within the churches of Jesus Christ those who may extend their right hand and the right hand of fellowship who do not have the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon them. And God is going to examine the hearts and souls of all men one day by the book of life and cast into the lake of fire all who do not have the righteousness of Christ upon them. Paul warns us that heresies must come in New Testament churches that they which are approved may be made manifest. Brethren, it's not the hearers of the law that are justified before God, but the doers. Amen. That's the lesson. But unconditional election provides us the garment. But we know we have the garment by being doers of what he commands us. Jesus said in that same place, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord. But then he says, but those that will enter into the kingdom of heaven are those that do the will of my Father which is in heaven. Amen. It's the character of the righteous. Look at Titus chapter 1 with me. I don't want to turn very many times this morning. I want you to consider Matthew chapter 22. I want you to be able to read it with understanding. And I want you to apply it to your own heart, to your own life, to your own conduct, to the year 2001 if God grants it to us, to live appropriately, to live wisely, to live soberly and godly in this present world. Titus chapter 1 and verse 16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. There are false professors in the churches of Jesus Christ. And the warning is, for you to examine yourselves, that ye be not reprobate, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 but that you might be found in Christ and to examine yourselves and to prove your own selves whether you be in the faith. Because a king is coming to the wedding and he's going to examine the wedding garments of all. And if we do not have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the consequences are enormous. They are so enormous that there is no price that you should not be willing to pay cheerfully and instantly. That's why the Savior could say, if your right hand offends thee, cut it off. Because it is better for thee to enter into life with one hand than to enter into hell fire with two. We do not believe in salvation by works. Right. By any definition. Except Christ's work. We believe in salvation by grace. But you must remember, brethren, that the Bible is written to us to tell us how we ought to conduct ourselves so that we might know that we have eternal life. But these things are written that ye might know that ye have eternal life. And the only way that you can know, brethren, is to live in a way that pleases 
the Lord Jesus Christ and is doing the will of your Father which is in heaven because it is the character of the righteous that grants them the assurance that they have the wedding garment upon them. It is not a profession. It is not singing with us by itself. It is not praying with us by itself. It is not attending an assembly. It is not reading your Bible nor memorizing your Bible. It is living your Bible. Faith that works by love. That works by love, brethren. In James chapter 2, we have many verses dedicated to the fact that we are not justified by faith, but by works. Faith without works is nothing but a devilish faith. The devils believe that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God, and they tremble before Him. Every event in the New Testament, I've read the Gospels this week, every event where Jesus Christ met Satan's demons, they acknowledged that He was the Christ, the Son of God. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God to have been baptized, you've done nothing yet more than devils. You were baptized. But your faith is devilish so far. It's faith that works by love. It's faith that proves itself by works. We come to a conclusion in James chapter 2. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Because, brethren, I'm sure if your soul is like my soul, I want to have the righteousness of Christ upon me. I do not want to go out of this world, nor do I want to live in this world without his righteousness upon me. And we can seek that righteousness. And we can, we can pursue that righteousness. And we can lay hold of that righteousness. And we can make sure that righteousness upon us that we have the wedding garment provided by the Lord Jesus Christ. The King is coming. The King is coming. The Apostle Paul said, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. We believe that. We believe that we're justified by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you know what he says in the rest of that verse? Knowing that a man is not justified by the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. There's a couple faiths for you. There's the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect obedience for our account that gives us legal righteousness. But how do we make certain that that righteousness applies to us? But by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and then living by that faith. Paul said, even so we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Let's apply it. My brethren... How do you hear the gospel? Anyone who is sleeping or dozing or with a mind wandering, obviously you're making light of it. It's not important enough for you. That should be obvious. And I speak to myself as much to any, as to any of you. It says they made light of it in verse 5 and went their ways. We're going to go our way in just a few minutes. How important is the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace that tells us of what he has done for us to you? How important is it to you? The first lesson that we want to apply, the the lesson was the Jews made light of the gospel 
and God sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city and took the gospel away from them. How do we hear? Do we prepare for these assemblies? Do we prepare physically by getting enough rest and by being wide awake on Sunday morning? Do we prepare spiritually by begging God for a blessing that we might meet him? Do we prepare by choosing to set our affection on things above and to see those things that are invisible rather than all that we see on our way from your homes to this meeting place? What do you do, brethren? How do you hear the gospel? With great joy and repentance or with little care and little and send forth his armies and to take the gospel away from us. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 8 and verse 18 after he gave the parable of the sower where the sower was the ministers of Christ going forth to sow the seed. And there's four kinds of ground. There's the wayside where Satan just comes and takes the word away because you're not even paying attention. You're not focusing on what you're hearing because it's work, brethren. It's something that we are supposed to do with our understanding to hear the word of God and to apply it. Satan comes and takes it away. There's stony ground that just has a little bit of soil and it springs up quickly and rah, rah, rah. It loves what it hears. But then as soon as the sun comes out, just a little bit of temptation, persecution, a little difficulty, it withers away because it has no root. And then there's that seed that lands among thorns, and the thorns grow up and choke it out so that it doesn't bear fruit, and those thorns are the cares of this life. And then there is good ground where the word of God lands, and it brings forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Thank God there are some in the kingdom of heaven that bring forth a hundredfold. Jesus said at the end of that, Take heed therefore how ye hear. You want to talk about the parable of the sower? Don't you come to me and and want to speculate about the different types of ground, whether they were born again or not. I want to take you to verse 18 because that was the lesson of that parable. The lesson of the parable is in verse 18. Take heed therefore how ye hear. Let's not worry about how they hear or heard. Let's worry about how ye hear. Take heed, therefore. Our first lesson that we must apply is the Jews made light of the gospel. Therefore, take heed how ye hear. How important is the gospel to you? Do you love to hear about Jesus Christ? Do you love to read his word? Do you love to pray? Do you love the blessings that we have? Tonight is the Lord's Supper. We get the Super Bowl once a month. If you can accept my pitiful analogy. We honor the Lord Jesus Christ tonight in his death for us. Someone died for you. And the someone wasn't another sinner. Isn't it wonderful? It's incredible. I got a few presents while I was gone. My dear wife did a great job. But she's never died for me. It's hard enough for her to live for me. If you understand what I mean. 
But Jesus Christ died for us. Amen. And tonight we get to come and break some bread that he broke. And when I, when I break it, that's all. He broke. We get to do it. He's going to bless a cup. He blessed a cup and we get to bless a cup. And we get to remember his death till he comes in the very way that he told us to. Glory. My dinner is ready. The oxen and fatlings are killed. Do you love it? Amen. Or do you make light of it? We have 66 members sitting here. 56 members. The number is irrelevant. The point is, every one of you are members that need to be asking yourselves, am I good or am I bad? How do I hear the gospel? How do I respond? With what joy do I bring into the assemblies? When I come into the assembly and I hear the word of God, and brethren, you're all hearing it right now, this is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. To you and to me. James chapter 1 tells us that hearing the word of God is like looking into a mirror. And in the mirror, brethren, today, we are looking in there, we are looking for this particular blemish. The blemish we are looking for today is do we make light of the gospel? Is it a small, light thing in our lives, or is it an important, valuable thing in our lives? If it is a light thing, you stand in the same place as the Jewish nation who made light of the gospel, and God sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city and took the gospel away from them and gave it to others. Because he said you've judged yourselves unworthy of it because you don't give it the attention that it deserves. That's the blemish we're looking for with lesson number one. We're looking in the mirror right now. Do you see yourself as someone who's, who sincerely, fully, aggressively loves what we preach and sing about here? Or do you come and go through the motions with us? We all must look in the mirror. Amen. Who do you think gets scared the most by Matthew chapter 7? You or me? Those are preachers. In Matthew chapter 7, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Judas Iscariot preached the gospel so well for three and a half years that not an apostle could discern that he was the son of perdition and a child of hell. We all look in that mirror. We look in that mirror right now to know how much we love these things. James chapter 1 says that a man has deceived himself who looks in that mirror, who hears this message this morning, and when I say amen, you say to yourselves, well, good, let's go home. And you go home and your mind separates this little event that we've had here with God speaking to us. You forget what you look like in the mirror, and you go your way. And you are a hearer of the word, but not a doer of it. May God have mercy upon us and save us from such folly. Amen. Cornelius was noble. Cornelius said, we are all gathered here to hear whatsoever God has commanded you. Lay it on us. Right. What a noble spirit. The Bereans were noble in Acts chapter 17. And there are others. How do you hear the gospel? Lesson number one is, the Jews made light of the gospel and they lost it. And God became angry with them and sent his armies to destroy those murderers and burn up their city. How do you hear the gospel? Right now you're hearing it. Lesson number two, 
do you have a wedding garment on? Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Brethren, by the testimony of the word of God, which I've read to you this morning and quoted some to you this morning, not all of us are going to heaven. 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to tell you something that is so good. I want to tell you that the faith that you have in verse 1 of chapter 1 you obtained it through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. The whole world outside these doors teaches that we obtain the righteousness of Jesus Christ by our faith. I want to tell you that the Bible says that we obtain our faith by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. If it were not for the gift of grace in your life, you couldn't even have faith. You wouldn't know what it was. It would be absolute foolishness to you to hear anything of the gospel. But I want to come down to that faith that God's given us. It says in verse 5, five, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Now, brethren, when the Bible tells us to be diligent, do you all understand what the word diligent means? It means somebody who is working hard. Diligence is hard work, faithful work, work that brings forth sweat, planned effort, strenuous effort. Diligence. It says in verse 5, and beside this, giving all diligence, not a little diligence, not temporal diligence, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Jesus Christ gave us faith, but we are to be adding things to that faith. You all have professed to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I only baptized you on that profession, or whomever baptized you. That's faith. But now that faith were to add virtue. And I don't have time to preach to you what virtue is. You should know what virtue is. It's goodness. Defined by God. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. You should be growing in knowledge of these things. And to knowledge temperance. Self-discipline. And to temperance patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Eight things, brethren, that we should have in our lives. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, instead of being like that, brethren, give diligence, there it is again, strenuous effort to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brethren, give diligence for these things, these eight things that they abound in your life, that is the evidence of your wedding garment. That is making your calling and election sure. The Apostle Peter spends five more verses telling them that even though he knows that they know these things, as long as he is alive, he is going to continue to remind them of these things. The next five verses are the Apostle Peter stating that they 
need to hear these things over and over again, even though they are already established in them. How much do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? How much virtue have you added to your faith? And how much knowledge have you added to your virtue? And so on. This is it right here. No price is too great. Jesus said, if any man comes to me and doesn't hate father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, lands and houses, for my sake he is not worthy to be my disciple. Because after what he has done for us, what price is too great to pay? I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, and with this passage I'll close. Philippians chapter 3. I want to show you the man that if I were to ask, other than the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament, whom do you think was most surely in the book of life? It would be our brother Paul. He was shown more and given more and blessed more personally by the Lord Jesus Christ than any man of the New Testament. He says that about himself. And he says it humbly about himself because he also admits that outside of God's grace, he was the chiefest of sinners and less than the least of all saints. I want you to remember Matthew chapter 22 because you have been bidden to a wedding. And you're sitting in one of its preliminary dinners. Rehearsal dinners. Because there's a, there's a wedding feast that we're going to in heaven soon. Amen. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. He'll be there in person. And our eyes shall see him. Right. But right now we have his oxen and his fatlings. And I ask you, I ask you with all the seriousness of your eternal destiny, how important are these things to you? What I just read to you in Second Peter chapter 1 is not the means by which a sinner wins eternal life. It is the proof and the evidence and the character of those that Jesus Christ saved by his glorious substitution for us. It's how they prove to themselves and secure their confidence that they are one of his. I want, you to, I want to take the Apostle Paul and show you his heart. And I pray... This is why I am your pastor. I pray that we might all have this desire. Amen. Considering all that I have told you, hear these words. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection 
of the dead. The Apostle Paul, knowing as much as he did of God's presence with him, did not sit and become lethargic, lazy, slothful, or make light of the gospel. It says here he suffered the loss of all things that he could win Christ. And he counted them but dung. Everything in life to Paul was dung except the pursuit of the man, Christ Jesus. And that he might know him. And that he might be found in him. And that he might know that his righteousness was upon him. Not by the law, where Paul had labored for many years. But by the faith of Christ, by Paul believing in that Christ. And being made conformable to his death. And seeing the power of his resurrection in his life with good works. And the fellowship of his sufferings being willing to suffer for his sake. He wanted all those things, if by any means... I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. We know from the rest of Scripture that Paul was not earning his way to heaven. But Paul was securing his confidence so that he could write later what we sang this morning, I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The Apostle Paul knew that when he stood before God and the books were opened and all of his sins were opened up before the eyes of the Holy God, that Jesus Christ would intervene in his behalf and nothing would be held against him because it was Paul that had said, Blessed is the man to whom God imputeth righteousness without works. You can read the rest of that chapter and see the Apostle Paul describing those that are belly worshippers this chapter, this context. There are those that are belly worshipers and there are those that seek the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you, do you have the heart of Paul that more than anything in life, all other things are dung. You want to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek him, brethren. And if I can help you seek him and find him, ask me, use me. But let's flee to Christ and be found in him, not with our own righteousness, but with his, and have that wedding garment on so that when that day comes where that certain king makes an examination of all the guests, we shall be found with a wedding garment of the Lord Jesus Christ. And brethren, you'll be shouting in that day. You'll be shouting in that day, but we need to make certain in this day that we are his. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.